Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Revelation chapter 6. We're going to be looking at only verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to take my time as I go through this because... John expects us to have a lot of background information as he starts pouring out his chronology of the book of Revelation. And so it requires a lot of us putting pieces of the puzzle together, kind of like building a mosaic or a puzzle, and we got to put all the pieces there so you can understand what he's saying. So we're in no rush. We're going to take our time as we explore today the Antichrist. Revelation 6, 1 through 2. The title of today's message, and it's going to be carried through the whole theme of probably chapter 6, and I'll just do different nuances as I come to each particular topic, but the title of the entire chapter is When God Gives You and I What We Want. That is almost the scariest thing to possibly imagine when God actually gives humanity what they want. And we see, we're going to see this on an individual level, but we're going to look on a, a corporate level or a world level as God's grace and mercy eventually runs out. God is inexhaustible, and as you know, He's an eternal being, and so you can never exhaust Him, but He does have His limits on how much He will tolerate and put up with. And as you see in the Scriptures, it's very clear that God is long-suffering, He's very patient, and uh, He'll let the sins accumulate to where He finally reaches the brim of a cup, so to speak, to use that metaphor, and eventually, once it reaches the top, He enacts judgment. Well, for a long time, since the flood, man's sins have been accumulating and gradually building bigger and bigger. So now what we're seeing here in our world today is sin is exponentially exploding. You get to the point where you have the masses of humanity doing certain things, immorality, whether it's theological or immorality, and it starts becoming so cumulative, it's engulfing the entire planet, what man is doing. And God has an end point with this. He had an end point with the flood, and He's going to have an end point with this, with what we call the tribulation period. And I think presently what I would say as studying prophecy for the last 25 to 30 years or whatever, it's coming to a convergence. There's multiple prophecies all over the Bible that are converging at the same time. It's not just one here and there. It's just multiple. And it's getting to the point where prophecy guys are starting to see that, wait a second, everything is in place now. We're not waiting on anything to happen. And so all we're waiting on really is God to pull the trigger. And so we're in that kind of time we call the last days. And so God is getting to that end point. There's no doubt about it as that table gets set. The thing we have to understand is God is giving mankind what it actually wants. And and it's going to be hard to watch these judgments unfold in front of our eyes in the book of Revelation. It's bad. It's bloody. It's really messy. A lot of judgment. But we have to understand the point that God's making right now is, I'm giving you what you want. 
which is the, the worst judgment you can see. Paul mentioned this in Romans chapter 1, the concept of giving a culture or a person over in uh, Romans chapter 1. And, and if you just pick out verse 24, 26, and 28 and not look at the whole chapter, but just take these pieces out, look what the phrases are. Verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Talking about idolatry. And you jump to verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. And the vile passions talking about homosexuality and lesbianism. When you see that kind of behavior, it means that God has given them over to that particular sin. And verse 28, God gave them over to a debased mind. If you want to debase God, he will let you debase yourself. And when you see what Paul says about this, this is the scariest types of judgment. It's just to be given over to your desires. You let your sin nature go hog wild and do what it wants to do because it ultimately will destroy you. And that's what God's doing not only in Romans, what Paul's talking about, but he's doing it in the tribulation period. What is the cry of the world right now? You probably have a good hunch of what it is. They don't want God in this world. It's amazing, man wants a utopia, and he talks about this utopia, but he wants a paradise without a creator, and you can't have that. If you want paradise, you must accept the creator, but man doesn't want that, so he's trying to create this utopian, idyllic world without God, and he's trying to do it through globalism or doing it by economics, and so man is trying to redistribute wealth, whether it's through communism, Marxism, or whatever, but trying to force people into globalism versus tribalism and nationalism. Have you noticed with this last election, and you should have picked up on this, that this election was not about Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. It was not about that. It was about national patriotic sentiment versus globalism. That's what this last election was about. And since Trump has put in, and again, we're not saying he's ordained by God or anything like that. No one's saying that. We ha he has his flaws. Everybody understands that. But what he had versus Hillary Clinton was he was more nationalistically driven versus the Clintons who were globally driven. With that respect, that brings us into a biblical worldview because the biblical worldview is anti-globalism. The biblical worldview is nation-states with language, culture, and borders. That is very clear from Scripture. And what's happening now is they want a man with a plan to bring globalism to this world because they think that's going to create the utopia that they want. So basically what you're going to see is what, is what is people crying out? They want America put in its place. They don't want America to be the leader, the police force of the world. Well, who will be then? Oh, the UN. Try that one on Versailles. They're all nothing but a bunch of globalists, anti-Christian, anti-Israel. And then they want something done about Israel. The globalists, this world cannot stand Israel. Do you know why they can't stand Israel? It's a spiritual issue. It's not a political issue. It's not rational politically why they cannot stand Israel. It's a spiritual issue because God picked that nation to be his representative nation, a holy priesthood to all the surrounding nations of this world. They represent God. 
The church represents God. So they hate Israel and they hate the church. And so you're seeing all this movement against Israel. And then what does Trump do? Come out and says Israel's capital is Jerusalem this last week, right? And that inflamed the world because they can't stand that. Jerusalem is Israel's eternal capital. It will be the capital where Messiah rules and reigns. It belongs to the Jews. End of story. It belongs to no one else. Everyone else on that land, I'm sorry to say, are nothing but squatters. That's all they are, are squatters. Now, will Israel let them live in the land? Of course. But the point I'm trying to make is what does the world want? They want something done about America. They want something done about Israel. That's why the communists are hooking up with the Muslims because they have the same intent. The green and the red are going together. You understand the movement? They want to take out the great Satan and then the smaller Satan, America and Israel. Huh. But yet they have to have a tax system to fund this whole deal, don't they? Because a global government needs funding. Governments never produce anything, right? So how do they survive? Taxing us, right? So in order to have a global government, you have to have a global taxation. Well, then you have to have a global reason for taxing people. And what do you think that reason is going to be? Climate issues. They have successfully brainwashed our universities and colleges and our public school systems to make people think that global warming or weirding or climate change is man-made. It's a joke. It's a lie. It's not. It's giving them a reason to tax people from other countries, to shift the wealth as you see what they're trying to do. And then the other thing is, if you notice, globalists cannot have borders, countries, languages. God wants that, but they can't accept that. So they want a man who will come and give them a borderless world, a man who will come and erase tribalism, erase factions, erase nations, and bring us all under one banner. Oh, that sounds good, but it's extremely satanic. And you obviously see what I'm saying is that's the undercurrent of our culture. They're demanding this. They're wanting this. And they cannot stand anybody that wants patriotism or nationalism because that goes against their plan. But they want a man with a plan to do this. And they're starting to prep this way for him. So when he does get here, he'll walk right into this. They want to get rid of our currencies because individual nation states can't have currencies if you're going to have a global government. You have to have a global cashless system that's digital. Why digital? Because it has to be the, have the ability for them to trace what people are spending their money on. Right now, they know everything and where you go what your GPS on your phone tells you where you've went, where every time you've swiped a card, it will get worse because they want a tracking system. So the day the dollar will eventually die and will go to cashless because you can digitize it, the currency. You see this with Bitcoin and other things. They want a man who will usher this in globally. It's already setting stage. The other thing they want is they want to get rid of the old morality. What morality am I talking about? The Judeo-Christian ethics and morality they want eliminated. That has been their plan for the last hundred years. And you know what? They have been extremely successful, haven't they? Who would ever think we would be talking about transgender bathrooms? Who would ever think we would talk about gay marriage? But you know what? 
They said this 50 years ago. We have to undermine the Judeo-Christian ethic in America and around the globe in order to bring our new morality in. And what is this new morality that they have? What is their thing called according to the Bible? You know what the name is? Lawlessness. The Bible calls it lawlessness. It doesn't mean anarchy. That's not what I'm saying. Lawlessness means that if God says it's wrong, they say it's right. If God says it's right, they say it's wrong. It's a complete 180. The spirit of lawlessness is already at work and has had infiltrated our educational system, our media, our government. It's here, and it's here to stay. It's not going away. And it's setting the stage for this man to implement his lawlessness throughout the entire world. When Antichrist comes on the scene, he will change times and seasons. He will change all the ways we functioned. Now, we won't be here, but that's what he's getting ready to do. He'll solve the world's arms race because he'll control the arms, not America, not Israel. He will control it. I've got a quote. I want you to see this. This is almost prophetic from an unbiblical standpoint. This is Henry Spake. He said this in 1945. This is what the world wants. He goes, we do not want another committee. We have too many already. What we want is a man's sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all people and to lift us out of the economic morass in which we are sinking. Send us such a man, and be he God or the devil, we will receive him. This was the first chairman of the General Assembly of the United Nations, 1945, and my friends, that sentiment has not changed. Be he God or devil, we will accept him. And guess what? He will be the son of the devil they will accept him, and it's coming. The groundwork is already laid out for him. Such a man is on the horizon. In fact, he might even be alive today. We don't know. If we're that close to the end times, if we're that close to the tribulation, there's no doubt he would be alive. But you and I wouldn't know it. Satan has prepped this time. He understands what he's doing. He understands God's plan. In fact, isn't it interesting that Satan knows the Bible better than a lot of Christians? Most churches, about 70-something percent of them, don't even teach the book of Revelation. So how can their people know what's coming? They don't. They don't understand that globalism is wrong. They don't understand cashless is wrong. They don't understand any of the concepts we just talked about. And so they play right into the hands of this. If you're ignorant about where it's going, you can't be salt and light. You just can't if you don't know where it's going. So that's what we're going to explore. Now, let me talk about some application before we move on. In the book of Revelation, the reason why a lot of people don't preach the book of Revelation, they don't think there's any application in it. They think it's all prophetic and it, there's nothing that really resonates with a lot of people on a living level, application level. They're dead wrong. They're absolutely dead wrong. And this is where I want you to start focusing in when we look at these topics. We're going to study this from the Israeli standpoint. We're going to understand things from Israel's standpoint is what I'm talking about. What we're supposed to do in the application, and Paul, I'm not getting anything new. This is what Paul said. We are to learn from Israel from a corporate body and apply it individually in our lives. That's how we look at the book of Revelation. Here's the question you have to answer and you and I have to answer at the end of this. 
Why in the world would Israel cut a deal with the son of the devil, the Antichrist, and get into a covenant with him? Why would he do that? Or they do that? Because the answer to that is the same answer you and I are going to have to answer about ourselves. Why would we trust anybody other than God? The answer to Israel's questions, why they do this, is our same answer of why we trust people that we shouldn't be trusting. So when you go into this, you must look at it through those lens. Because the problem you and I have, we end up sometimes trusting the wrong people. And those wrong people burn us. And they burn us bad. And there's a lot of people I know that are walking around wounded because they put their faith and trust, not in Jesus, but in a person and an institution or a job or a boss or a spouse or an adult child or whatever. They put all their stock in that individual and that individual ended up burning them. So the lesson you learn from Israel is the same thing we're going to learn. So I want you to keep that in mind as we study this because, guys, we have to get down to the geopolitical level. So that's why a lot of people don't want to go there because it takes you past your individual life to you've got to go to the geopolitics of what's going on. And so I have to bring that in for us to understand what's happening because John obviously assumes we know that. And so that's what the book of Revelation is. By the way, you can take the book of Revelation, almost every verse, and lay it out just on a paper and tag that verse to Old Testament. Almost every verse is tied to an Old Testament concept or reality or prophecy, and then John expects us to, to know all, the, all of that. So it makes it a tough book. Well, let's get into the text. Let's get as far as we can get into it today. Chapter 6, then we see now the unsealing of the seals, the seal judgments. Verse 1, now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and remember the, the seals are, are on the title deed of the earth. Adam had lost the title deed to the earth. Satan had usurped them, and Satan has become the god of this world. He has blinded the people of this world. But when Messiah came and sacrificed himself on the cross, it not only brought us our own redemption, but it also bought back the world for man. And since Messiah is the God-man, he is what's called a kinsman redeemer, and we talked about this. He is one of us. He is God, but he is also a human being. And because of that, he's a kinsman redeemer, which in the Old Testament, is that the kinsman redeemer could buy back your land for you if you lost your land and couldn't pay for it back. The kinsman redeemer would come and pay it back. Messiah is the kinsman redeemer. Therefore, he has the title deed now in his possession. He owns it. But in order to get back the earth, he must do certain things. Messiah must purge the world of all sin and evil before he can hand it back and rule and reign and let us rule and reign with him and given it our rightful place. So here's the concept I want you to remember. You cannot have peace without the eradication of evil. Evil must be eradicated before you have peace. You have these jokers in the world, in politics, saying, we just want peace, we just want peace, and we're going to have to have peace. You can't do it based on evil. You can't do it based on lies. It has to be purged out of it. 
That's why the swamp is never going to be drained in Washington. This is why the swamp at the UN will never be drained because you have to get rid of them. You can't let them exist. So Jesus has to come back and through the tribulation, not through the church because the church is gone. It's not our job. It's Messiah's job to get rid of evil and sin. This is what makes the book of Revelation very difficult for people because they don't understand it. They see just all this judgment coming, but you don't understand that he has to get it out of there. Just like you would purge your house of rats or mice or anything else that's infesting your house and roaches. You got to get them out of there. You have to eradicate them out of your house because you don't want to live with them. That's what he's doing. So hence, he starts breaking the seals. The first seal is I'm going to give humanity what they want in order to cleanse this earth of this evil, and I'm giving them the Antichrist. So he goes back, and I heard one of the four living creatures. Remember the picture of the four living creatures, the artist's rendition. The four living creatures are the guardians of the throne. They're cherubim that guard the throne, and they're starting to speak to John and tell him this is what's going to happen. And so go back to the text and it says, saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. I'll explain all of this symbolic nature of this in just a bit. He who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. We'll analyze the text later on, but what we have to understand is he's introducing the Antichrist as the first breaking of the seal into the world of giving the world what they want. You want a leader. You want someone to lead you down to the path of hell. Fine, I will give it to you. You don't want me ruling you. You don't want my son ruling you. Fine. I will give you Satan's son to rule over you. You've been wanting him for so long, world. I will finally give you what you want. You can have your one world government. You can have your one world leader. I am ready for it now, and I'm going to allow it. You tried to do it at the Tower of Babel under Nimrod, but I wasn't ready for that, so I confused your languages and scattered you all over this planet. But now you're coming together again. You're forming your one world government. Fine. It's now time, because I want my son to rule over this world. So I'm giving you the son of Satan the Antichrist. You've been wanting him for so long. Here he is. Now, John expects us to understand the background on this. He wants us to understand the Old Testament passages that all are playing into this, and we have to flush this out. I'll explain the text and the symbolic nature in just a bit, but we have to bring in the mosaic. We have to bring in the puzzle so you know where he's going with this, and why is this the first seal? Why is the Antichrist the first guy to come on the scene in the tribulation period? Well, we'll explain that. Letter A First point I want to make about this, bringing this stuff in, the Antichrist at this time has been revealed, but now starts taking action for control. Now, again, the timeline, let me give you the timeline. You're talking about a seven-year tribulation period, okay? So we're not in that right now. We're in the church age. Eventually, we're going to be raptured, taken out of this world, and the Antichrist is going to be introduced prior to the tribulation, prior to the tribulation. Now, let's look at 2 Thessalonians to bring some understanding about this so we understand the timing element of this. 
Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's referring, and our gathering together with him, that's referring to the rapture. Because these believers were told that they had missed the rapture. So Paul's correcting this. He goes, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. He goes, let no one deceive you by any means. Now, here's where he's going to break out the timing of this. For that day, the tribulation, the day of the Lord, the tribulation, the seven-year period, will not come unless the falling away comes first. The first thing we've talked about this in the church age is the church will go apostate. The falling away has to refer to the apostasy of the church, which is happening right now in front of our very eyes. The church is apostating. So that's happening. Okay, so that has to happen first before the tribulation, which makes sense. And then he says concurrently, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself about all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, talking about in the future tribulation, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. What's restraining him? For the mystery of lawlessness, this antichrist morality is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who is the he? Who is restraining the antichrist right now? The Holy Spirit through the church. This is why you and I will never be able to identify the antichrist. He's being restrained through the Holy, by the Holy Spirit through the church. As long as the church is here, you're not going to see him on the scene. But the minute the, the, the Holy Spirit uh, removes his restraining efforts is concurrent with the rapture of the church. Once the church is taken out, the restraining efforts of the Holy Spirit keeping the man of sin back is let loose. So it's not a removal of the Holy Spirit. It's the removal of the restraint by the Holy Spirit on the man of lawlessness. Now, lawlessness is already working, but he's holding that man down as long as you and I are here. So it is absolutely fruitless to try to go out and speculate who the Antichrist is. You can't do it. You won't be able to do it. Okay. So the timing element is he will be revealed prior to the tribulation starting. And guess who is that for? It's not for us. Israel. He has given a preview of who he is prior to the tribulation starting because Israel must be forewarned. They must be told, do not cut a deal with this guy. Do not do it. It is a covenant of death, according to Isaiah. It's a covenant of death and shield. Don't do it, Israel. So they will be pre-warned not to do this. We'll come to that a little bit more later on, because they're the ones that actually get into a covenant with him. They see him as their quote-unquote Messiah, so to speak. That's the first point we want to see. That's the timing element. So he's already on the scene by the time the tribulation starts. He's already revealed. He's already working and amassing power. Okay. Brings us to the second point I want you to see. And again, we're reaching back into the Old Testament to understand this. The Antichrist then emerges unnoticeably from among the global ten administrative districts. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, we've got to reach back into Daniel a little bit to understand 
how he emerges. Where is he going to come from? Is he going to come from America? Is he coming from South America? Is he coming from Africa? No. He is emerging out of a global 10-league confederation. So we can start understanding his origins and where he's coming from. Okay, so again, this is all geopolitical. I'm not going to get into the nature of the Antichrist until later because he is not fully human. I'll just say that right now. He is not fully human. He is half satanic because he's Satan's son and he's half human. I'll deal with his nature later on when we get to Revelation 13 and 17. But right now, I want to focus in on just the geopolitical character of this individual. And again, suffice it to say, he is not fully human. Okay? So that being the case, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about Daniel's dream. To refresh our minds, you remember Daniel had this dream where he saw what we call the metallic man. And he saw four successive empires in this metallic man. Remember, he told Nebuchadnezzar about his dream, and Nebuchadnezzar had to have somebody interpret it. In this dream, what Nebuchadnezzar saw, Daniel interpreted, he saw the head of gold referring to Babylon. He saw the, uh, the chest and arms referring to Medo-Persia. He saw the torso referring to Greece with Alexander the Great. And then with the bottom half of the legs going into the ten toes, that represented Rome. So those are the four empires that would dominate Israel until the, the Messiah came. Not just the first coming, but the second coming. And so Daniel sees this metallic man. Well, we're in the Roman phase. We're in the two legs phase of Daniel. And I don't want to complicate things too much, but Rome still exists. You just don't see that it's imperial power. Rome is still here. Rome will be here until Messiah destroys Rome at the second coming. But Rome will take on a different look. Don't think of Rome in the sense that you think about the first century with Jesus. You know, like with the Roman feathers on the head and the helmets and the gladiator types of environments. Rome has morphed and it changes its phases. So right now we have a two-legged phase. Okay, where are the two legs? It's simple. The western side of Europe is the west leg. And the eastern side, led by Russia, is the eastern leg of the Roman Empire. That's where it's at. And eventually, it forms into a global government and forms itself into 10 global districts that control the entire planet. It's once that's established, that's where he arises. And I have some passages I want you to see and, and so you can understand where I'm getting this from. Daniel chapter 2 talks about this in verse 40. And the fourth kingdom, that's referring to the Roman Empire, shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. It's the strongest of the empires. It's not the most glorious, but it has strength behind it. That's the problem with Rome. It has an issue what's called, now catch this, imperialism. Rome and its strength, even in Jesus' day, had a thing called imperialism which no other empire ever had done. And you're getting a taste of imperialism right now. What do you mean? Imperialism means this, that Rome operates with its own people governing the territories it controls. First century, let's go back there and understand imperialism. What was the problem that the Jews had with the Romans? Taxation without representation. The Roman government was taxing them. The average Jew had any problem paying temple tax to its own institution. They had a problem of paying taxes to Rome. Remember that? 
They brought it to Jesus. Do we pay taxes to Caesar? And what did Jesus respond? Lend unto Caesar's what is Caesar's, and what to God is God's. Isn't that funny? No one ever finishes, what, well, what is God's? No one ever finishes that one. Do you know what he implied? You. Give Caesar his money, but you give yourself to God. That's what Jesus was saying, right? But that's what they were having a problem, is taxation without representation, coming from a foreign entity, giving them money. Okay. The other thing that you saw with Rome is they were controlling the area with its own person, a la Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, right? They were being controlled by a governor of Rome. Empires before this controlled regions by enlisting nationals to run the place. But they didn't run the place with nationals. They brought their own Roman people there to run the place. Ah, I'm catching on. So you're saying that eventually we're going to see foreign intervention into our own country? You're seeing it now. The UN is pushing their agenda into our business, and eventually they're going to start taxing us, especially for this global warming junk. Guaranteed. And you're going to see taxation without representation, which our founding fathers wanted, right? But we have people in politics, they don't even know about our founding fathers, or they say, oh, they're just white slave holders. We don't want to listen to them anymore. Deconstructing our whole foundation, right? So that you and I one day will be paying taxes to the UN. Or we'll have some UN person making decisions about us that don't even, doesn't even belong to our country. And we're stair-stepping our way there, and people are not seeing it. What do you think universal health care is? They know the Obama system is going to fail. They know it. What do they want? They want it to fail so they can go to a single-payer system. And then eventually, some guy in an office, when you're 65, 75, 85, is going to make a decision whether they treat you for prostate cancer or not, or just let you die. Because you're not paying taxes, you're not a productive citizen of the country, so we're just going to let you die. Here's a pill, hope you feel better. See, what's starting to happen is you're stair-stepping to where you're losing control of your life. They will control every aspect of your life. That's what the global system wants. And yet, what do people want? They're begging for it. They're begging for that kind of stuff. Give us security and we'll give you our liberties. Welcome to Rome. Welcome to imperialism. That's what's happening. That's why our politicians won't close the border. That's why our politicians don't want assimilation by Muslims coming from the Middle East. They want to destroy the patriotic character of people in America, so you're going to be more loyal to a global government. And folks, I'm not making this up. This used to be conspiracy. That, oh, Brandon, you're a conspiracist. No, 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 they're out with it now, saying it in open. Hillary Clinton wanted it. All of them wanted it. They love it. I'll give you this story, interesting enough. Didn't surprise me, but it should have. Talked to a gal who uh, was in college, and she was taking classes somewhere in, I think it was in Santa Barbara, I think it was. And so she did this study abroad thing for a semester. You know how people, they go to Europe or something to study abroad. She goes over there, and guess what she takes? She takes an international politics class in Europe. Wow. I wonder how that is. So she calls me from Europe. 
And she says, Brandon, everything you said is, that's their motto. I said, tell me what they're saying. She goes, I get in this class, and the professor says, the solution to our world's problem is global government, global cashless system, and a global religion. And she says, I cannot believe it. They don't even know what they're saying. And she goes, all the kids in my class are like, yeah, that's great. That's, we got to do that. That's what the world's got to come to. And these are, this is the millennial age, right? And they're like, wow, we got to have this. And she goes, I cannot believe I'm hearing this. I said, I, I know it's not a conspiracy anymore. They really believe that. I said, they're nothing but antichrist fodder. Nothing. It'll be a cakewalk when he gets on the, on the scene with these kind of people. They don't know the difference. They have no idea what's coming. And they're being stair-stepped along the way to accept more of control of their lives. Scary, isn't it? Daniel 7, look, more information. Thus he said, the fourth beast, that's the Roman Empire, shall be the fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all their kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth. Now, it's different. It's diverse because of its imperialism, but notice what it takes over the entire planet, which is we call globalism. That's what's happening. One more passage real quick in Daniel, chapter 2, verses 40 through 42. And like iron that crushes, the kingdom will break into pieces and crush all others, including America. Okay? That's what it's predicting. It's crushing all other countries. You have to come to terms with that. Look, if Trump ever gets out of office, who's next? Who's next? You're going to get nothing from the Republicans or the Democrats, nothing but a bunch of globalists, nothing but a bunch of political hacks who love the U.N., Again, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, saying Trump's ordained by God. I'm not saying that. You have to understand what I'm saying is what's left. And then what's left with our own population in America of a giant block of millennials, about 80 million of them are moving into voting age, and they love Bernie Sanders. They love communism. You don't think they're going to go global? Dude, the, the, the schools are already teaching them to go global. You send your kid to a public school, they're going to come out brainwashed. Unless you're a parent holding the wheels, saying, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. If you just give them over and take your hands off the wheel, you're going to have a functioning communist globalist if you're not careful. That's the agenda, dude. Not kidding. They put that in the common core. The common core is to teach your kids to be a global citizen. That's why they're anti-patriotic. They don't want to say the Pledge of Allegiance anymore. They don't want to love America. They want to talk about how bad America was. They want to rip down statues because they want them to be loyal to the global government and eventually to the man of sin. They're being set up for him. The devil knows what he's doing. He's got them. He's got the, all the educational institutions. He's got Hollywood. He's got the politicians. What else does he have left? He's got it. The kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be, ju- it shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. I'll talk about that. Now, here's the, the key. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. Huh. 
That's interesting. What do you mean by that? Let me show you a picture of, of the bottom of the feet. He's saying the global government eventually is going to break up into 10 leagues that control planet Earth. But notice it's partly clay and partly iron. It's strong, but there's some fragility to it. Why is it fragile? Simple. You've seen it right now. Guys, you're so privileged to see what these prophecies mean because 100 years ago, you would have never understood what he's talking about. What does it mean that ceramic will not bind to the iron? Simple. You saw it with Brexit. You saw it with our our last national election. You have people that are more loyal to their national sentiments than the global government. That's what Brexit was about in England. They're tired of the UN. So the reason it's partly strong and partly fragile is because it has divisions in it that are more loyal to France or Germany or England or their own nation states or America. But then there's another subset of people, the majority of the people, that are more loyal to the global government. So you have this clash right in front of our very eyes. It's in our own country, guys. If you're standing and saying, you know what, I'm a patriot, I love America, I love apple pie, I love baseball, I love this, whatever. Okay, that sentiment is no longer supported by our educational systems. The sentiment is, oh, you need to be multicultured. You need to love global. You, you cannot say America is exceptional. You can't say that. You're downing Sudan. You're downing uh, Saudi Arabia for saying America is exceptional. Yeah, I am. I am saying that. Those cultures are pagan, idolatrous cultures. That's why they're in the mess they're in. Why does India suffer such poverty? Because they worship gods made of cows. Not the one true God. And so they don't even eat the meat dancing right in front of them. You're going to go ahead and, and starve to death? You have a fat cow sitting right in front of you. And you're not going to butcher them up and barbecue them? What are you, crazy? Yes. Yes. Because that's what Hinduism does. And so to say that, yes, we are superior as far as our theology. Not all worldviews are equal. But the school systems and the colleges and universities and the politics and the media are all saying, oh, no, everyone's equal. Especially these Muslims and their worldview. Oh, Sharia law is equal to our law? So they, they're going to let them do honor killings in our country? Let them do that, what they do in, in Israel, and go crazy? And what do they say? Yes. Because we have to get rid of your American exceptionalism and get you people loyal to the global government. That's what's being played out and no one's seen it. But if you know Daniel, it totally makes sense. I know, I know what he's saying. Why it's fragile and broken up. It's why America is fractured right now and won't return. America has been fractured and divided for the last 50 years, and they have fractured it so much, especially after the last administration. He fractured it so much, you don't come back from that. The people are not willing to even dialogue anymore. Have you noticed that? They won't talk to you. they just rather fight you, bully you, beat you up. Look at, our, look at our news programs, what's happened to the news. You can't even watch news. CNN is a joke. All the news groups, because they're lying, because they have an agenda for globalism. And a guy like Trump who wants national patriotism, what do they call him? Oh, he's a Nazi. He's a racist. Guess what? That term is coming to you and I. 
You will be called a Nazi. You will be called a racist because the Bible is supporting language, culture, borders. Keep the people divided in their individual nation states. That's what the Tower of Babel was for. Why did he send them different languages? It's to divide them up. It's a fail-safe for making sure the world doesn't go global. And they're trying to counteract that. And what's wrong with Judeo-Christian ethics? They have done wonders for the last 2,000 years. It has made our society reach its levels economically that no other culture has ever seen. And why? Because of free market capitalism. They say, well, they're demonizing capitalism. It's just for greedy. No, 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 no. You don't understand. The free market exists because of the Bible. So the attack on capitalism really is not an attack on capitalism. It's an attack on the Bible's free market system. If you don't work, you don't eat. Right? No welfare system in the Bible, by the way. There wasn't, there wasn't entitlement programs where you have a, a hundred trillion in unfunded liabilities. Didn't happen in Israel. By the way, Israel had no prison system either. No one. And our prison systems are overflowing. Why is it that Israel didn't have a, a penal system? Or, or should I say a correctional facility or anything like that. Because they took care of business. If you messed around, you stole, you did something, you murdered, you're done. We're going to exact the punishment right away. You're going to go to a city of refuge. We're going to do the punishment. Boom, you're done. You're done. If you want to act this way in our country, we kick you out. That's how Israel functioned. And they didn't have one jail. Not one. It is possible. But when you throw out Judeo-Christian ethics, you have nothing to teach anybody. The schools are trying to teach kids to be moral. Give me a break. Based on what? What are you attaching the morals to? There's got to be a reason why I don't steal. Why I don't cheat. Oh, because I might be judged by God. That's what keeps us in line. But if I say, be nice to people, and there's really, it's altruistic, there's no motivation to do that. That's what our school systems are trying to do. It doesn't work. They're spinning their wheels. But they don't want Judeo-Christian ethics. They can't stand it. And so they've ridded our whole culture of it. Eventually, the world will turn into something like this. I've got a map for you to see. It'll be divided something like this. They're already thinking like this, by the way. It's not a conspiracy. They're already thinking like this. The Ten Toes will be a global government, ten confederations that control global regions over the planet. That's where we're going. It'll be something like that. And they're already talking about the North American Union and different things like that, the South American Union and the African Union, whatever, Middle East, whatever. And so there'll be ten major regions that are being controlled by ten guys, ten kings, Ten rulers. Are you serious? Yeah. This idea of democracy, mob rule, or even a constitutional republic like we have, it's gone. Because eventually the whole world will be controlled by ten guys. Ten. That's it? Yeah. That's it. Ten individuals will control this entire planet. Every government Every taxation will be under 10 guys. 
I don't know who those guys will be. Maybe there'll be like guys like George Soros or 10 financiers. I mean, when you get to the George Soros level, the Rockefeller level, the Rothschild level, dude, those guys are the, the, the billionaires of the world. They own everything. And it could eventually be just 10 bankers that eventually control all the governments of the world. I don't know. But it, it gets down to 10 guys. And then it gets down to one. And it's going that way. They hate a constitutional republic. They absolutely hate that kind of stuff, the globalists. And so we're moving that way. So let me show you how he arises out of this 10-league confederate. So this gets on the scene, and you and I are going to see somewhat of the formation of this as we're seeing it now. So then let's go back to Daniel and, and kind of un- understand what he's talking about in Daniel chapter 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, it had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking into pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Ten toes, ten horns. You notice the, the, the connection? The horns represent governments or power. I was considering the horns, and here we go. There was another horn, a little one, coming up among them. So the formation of a 10-league confederation, and then all of a sudden, an 11th horn rises, unnoticeably. It wasn't there at the beginning, but it comes up and rises. That horn that rises is the Antichrist. The vision that John saw in the book of Revelation, this is how he saw the Roman government. I saw it with seven heads, ten horns, body of a bear, mouth of a lion, stuff like that. It was a conglomerate of the previous empires before it. So he calls it, he didn't know what to call it, so he says, I call it a beast. It looks like a beast because I can't describe it. I'll talk about the seven heads later on when we get to the book of Revelation, chapter 13 and 17. But what I want you to focus on is the ten horns. The ten horns are the ten-league confederation that controls the planet. So what he says eventually is a small horn pops out of this tenly confederation and starts exerting its geopolitical power. Now, let's just stop right there and understand the significance of this. When we get into the First World War, which we'll see in a couple of weeks, it's him taking out three of the horns to establish his power, and then the other seven submit to him. So through geopolitical movements and whatever he does, he is able to take three regions out and start controlling three regions, and everyone else submits to him. Okay, let's do some application real quick. I know that's pretty heavy. I know. If you're hung with me, that's good. And here's where we start getting into our application. Not everything in the Bible is going to apply to, like, your marriage your own struggles, or anything like that. When you have information given to you like this by the book of Revelation, Daniel, it is information to be used at a later time. At this point, you might just just simply need to know it. You just need to know the information. You need to know how this goes down, because when it does come on your doorstep, you need to know what to do with it when you see it, is the point. Okay? So, What's the application? You must be fully aware that globalism is here. The spirit of Antichrist is here, and you must be able to identify it and what it looks like. What do you mean? 
Well, globalism represents the spirit of Antichrist. And so it's happening. So I want to take you through just a couple things so you can just get a good formation. Okay, what am I, what am I supposed to be looking out for, Brandon? What do I need to be aware of? Okay, globalism doesn't want borders, language, or culture. It wants to eradicate that, which is the opposite of the Bible. When the Bible talked about language, it, it, that's why God confused the languages. He put people in their borders, and he talks about the bordering states, and then he talks about their culture, like the Moabites and the Ammonites and all that. That was a culture. He wants that. Why? Why does God want language, culture, and borders? It is a failsafe against evil. What do you mean? Well, let's just pretend like the Assyrian culture goes crazy back in the day, right? When the Assyrians go crazy and they start skinning people alive and doing crazy things, the other individual cultures and nations can put them in check, right? So it prevents craziness. It prevents rogue states from going crazy. It's a curtail on evil. doesn't prevent the state from going evil, but it, the other states should prevent it from going crazy and expanding past its own borders. And so you'll see this all through the Old Testament. The individual nation states will go crazy. Babylon will go crazy and go sinful. Assyria will go crazy. Egypt will go crazy. And then the other neighboring states, including Israel, will hem them in. So when, if you don't have individual states, language, and culture, you don't have a police force of the other nations curtailing the actions of the other nations. If you take away this patriotism, that you're not going to do this on our borders, we're not going to allow this in our country, if you take that away, you are powerless against an evil country or an evil religion. And folks, we are simply sitting there powerless against evil. And what does it do? Spreads. That's why God wants individual nation states. It curtails evil. Two, globalism wants mass immigration, legal or illegal. They don't care to destroy nationalism. You can't have unvetted people coming into your country and not expect problems to happen. Three, globalism doesn't enforce assimilation to any culture. It doesn't want you to assimilate. That's why they're pushing multiculturalism. It's not an appreciation for another culture. That's not what they're talking about. They want people to stay in their own enclaves or ghettos and stay there and don't assimilate. If I move to France, my personal expectation is I need to become French. I need to know French language to function. I need to put on a beret. I need to eat baguettes or whatever. I need to start assimilating, right? That would be normal. That's what I would think. But that's what's happening. You can't have populations assimilate because if they assimilate to American or French or German values or whatever, they will go in line with patriotism and nationalism. Now that's a dirty word. They don't want that. You stay in your own enclave, and then we will give you free stuff so you vote for us. Now, we're the ones on your side. And so what happens? 80%, folks, 80% of illegal aliens in any country are voting left. Left. Why? Because there's free stuff. That's why. And they want that. Four. 
Globalism needs a funding source, so they offer redistribution of wealth, which they got from communism and Marxism, which is basically stealing, and a global taxation without representation. That's what the game is. They have to fund it, so they're going to do it through making up stuff like carbon emissions or, or whatnot. A couple more. Globalism must control all economic systems. They're eventually going to go cashless. They're going to control the, the way we buy and sell. Globalism wants a one-world currency. That is cashless. Globalism doesn't want patriotism. That's a bad word. And globalism has an alternative system of morality that the Bible calls lawlessness. That's why they're celebrating what our culture considered sin. Now it's an alternative lifestyle. Globalism must have absolute control, which means individual liberties will vanish. What individual liberties? Take a guess. Globalism cannot have an armed citizenry. Can't. Why did our founding fathers give us the Second Amendment? To protect us from the government. That's what it was about. They know that. And so they make up these false narratives. Oh, you guys want guns, so you guys, you know, you're out of control shooting up things, or you just want to do it militia. We're, out, we're past the days of militia. The talking points from liberals is, is mind-numbing. The issue was the citizens need to be armed to protect themselves from tyrannical governments, that you could actually raise up arms against the government to stop doing what they're doing. That's what it was about. And no one seems to know that about history, except the remnant. But in the globalism, they've got to take away your guns. You can't have people that are armed that are actually going to fight back at us. We've got to have no arms, and so we can do what we want with people. Europe's all set up for the Antichrist. They're going to walk right into that one. Globalism cannot have private property. You can't own stuff. We've got to take away from stuff from you. And they're taking inches by inches away from you. And if I can't actually steal it from you, I'll just take it in taxes from you. That's what it'll do. Globalism cannot have free speech or freedom of religion. You can't say it. No, so now the free speech that we have in the First Amendment is being taken away because they're going to say, you can't be talking like that, Brandon. That's hate speech. You hate people, Brandon. You hate them. You just despise humanity, don't you? No, I actually love them. That's why I'm telling them the truth. I tell people the truth because I love them. If I don't love them, I'm not going to say anything to them. You have it all backwards. But see, they want to curtail what you and I are saying. And by the way, if your religion practices a certain thing, uh, you know, you're anti-LGBT and you're anti-Islamic, well, then you can't practice that. And so now you've got these guys that, that are, you know, baking cakes and going before the Supreme Court and your own private business. You know, let's say you had a, a bakery and some guy says, hey, I want you to bake a cake for Satan. You can't say no to that. He's like, what are you talking about, man? Where's my, where's my freedom of religion, my freedom of conscience? They can't have that, so it's gone. That's why the courts are ruling a lot of times in their favor. Globalism cannot have free movement or a lack of information on you. You can't be just a ghost. They've got to know where you're at. They've got to know where you've been. And by the way, the data mining is at an all-time high on people. They have gobs and gobs of information. They're saying, oh, it's, it's, that information's in that department, that information's in that department, but all it takes is one click, and they put it all together, and they got everything you have ever done on this planet. Everything. The data mining, the computers that are storing this information are enormous. They've got plenty of space, and they're just simply collecting data on and on and on. Because eventually the Antichrist will say, I'm going to use that system to control the buying and selling and the movement of people. You won't be able to make a move without me knowing. Amazing. 
that we live in a day that we're there. A hundred years ago, we couldn't have talked like this. We are here, folks. We are here. Now, that's a little bit about what we understand geopolitically. I'm going to get into the weeds a little bit more next week as we delve into what is the idea of this horse? What is the idea of a bow that's bent but has no arrow in it? What is all that? I'm going to explain that. But suffice to say is the walk away, the application we take away is this. It is happening. It is happening in front of our very eyes. It's not a conspiracy. Guys, they're saying it. They're not hiding it anymore. They don't have to hide it because they got too many people on their side. I think this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. This is the answer. Just give us somebody who will rule this world. This is the first king of Israel, Saul. Now, he was not chosen by God. He was chosen by Israel. The one that was chosen by God is David. He comes second. But I want you to see the pattern. I want you to look at the text and see if this doesn't remind you of what the world is begging for. Because this is a typology. Look at this. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in that they say to you, For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Wow, that's like it's speaking today, isn't it? Wow. Accordingly to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. I Look what I did, Samuel, for Israel. I pulled them out of Egypt. How about modern day? Look at America's roots, the Judeo-Christian roots. A country never existed like this in all of history. Look at how I blessed them because they kept my statutes and principles. But they have forsaken me, as the rest of the world has done. They were the last light shining in this dark world. And their light's going out. Now, therefore... Heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked for him a king. And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no. But we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go before us and fight our battles. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. That's a typology for the Antichrist. Church, heed their voice. They don't want me as their king anymore. They don't want my son to rule over them. They want a king. I will heed their voice, and I will give them the Antichrist. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. 
For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.